Good morning. Am I on? Maybe. There we go. Um, well, welcome to Aletheia. My name is Brent, and I am, weirdly to say, uh, one of the pastors here. Um, and we apologize in advance for the heat. Uh, lightning evidently struck the building, and the lightning rod didn't work, and it fried both of our AC units. So be in prayer for that, that we can work with the school to get that remedied quickly. Um, so that we don't have to sit in the heat any future Sundays. But be also aware that it might take a couple weeks to fix. <laughs> so, but just pray for that situation because it's hot and it's the middle of summer in Florida. Um, so yeah, um, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we have been going through the uh, book of Habakkuk. Um, and it's been a quite fun to just go through one of the Minor Prophets, a book that very few people even know where it is at, much less read um, in the Old Testament, and just to hear what is going on. Um, over the last few weeks, we've heard from quite a few people, and I'm just going to do a quick recap. So Habakkuk is a book um, from a Minor Prophet. It's a prayer between Habakkuk himself and God. So therefore, it's different than all the other books of the Bible because it only documents Habakkuk's plea to God, and then God's response, his second plea to God, and then Habakkuk's response to God's overwhelming response to him. So it's just a back and forth prayer between Habakkuk and God himself. And so it's really, really cool. So it starts with a complaint. It starts with Habakkuk looking and understanding. If you were here about a month ago, I went through just the whole historical concept. And so Habakkuk had seen the days where King Josiah had found the Holy Scriptures and had restored the people of Israel back to the kingdom of God and started making ways to, to make people understand and follow after God again. He tore down idols. He tore down all this crazy stuff that was going on in, the, in, in Israel and restored the people to, to God. But then right after Josiah died, everything went back to the way it was. Prostitution started happening back in the temple. Asherah poles were erected. People started sacrificing their kids again to Baal and Moloch. And so Habakkuk's like, where are you, God? Even Jews are taking advantage of the righteous ones who are following after you. Why do you just sit idly by and watch this happen? And so he cries out to God, and, and God's response is really cool. He says, do you not know, like, I am doing bigger things than you can possibly imagine. Look, I'm raising up this, this whole nation of Babylon to come against you and punish and to basically do what you're asking me to do, to punish the wicked. And then, of course, Habakkuk responds, why them? They're more wicked than we are. Where's their punishment? How can you let them punish us, your chosen people? And then God responds again, they're going to get their punishment. Don't worry, trust me, it's coming, but not the way you expect. And so he walks through what the punishment will be for Babylon in time. And then we pick it up right here where Habakkuk, then this whole last chapter of Habakkuk is a prayer response to God's response. And so um, Lois read for me, but we're going to reread verses 1 and 2. And then we'll 
go through the rest and then go back to verse 2, and that's where I'm going to camp out, and that's where I feel like the heart of this whole prayer is, is in verse 2. So um, turn with your, turn your Bibles to me, Habakkuk 3, um, and Doug, if you could put it on the screen, I can't see it where I'm at. So a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shiganoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So he starts off, it starts off a prayer. You guys, this is a prayer. But before we even move any further, we need to understand what prayer is. Because prayer is a plea, a call for help. It's an understanding, a right understanding of your position and the position you're praying to. So back in the old days when there were lords and servants, lords and common people, if a servant had a debt to their lord, they would kneel before their lord and say, please have mercy on me. Please forgive my debt. Please come save my village from the attacking foes. Whatever their plea, their prayer was, they would go before their Lord and say, help me. And so it's a positional understanding that I am weak, but whoever I'm praying to is strong. They have the resources to help me, and I have nothing. I am broken, and I am in need. You guys, this is the way that we are supposed to to understand and relate with God. God on the throne. God the one who rescues. God who is the Lord. Prayer is a positional understanding of knowing that without Him we have nothing and we're lost. But when we're on our knees looking to God, big things can happen. So Habakkuk understood this. As a prophet to Israel, Seeing what was going on around him, he understood prayer. He understood the position of him on his knees and God above him, pleading for God. And this is his plea. Throw it back up there. Just leave it up there for a while, Doug. He said, oh Lord. So we'll go through the prophet. So what is a prophet? A prophet is someone who takes a message from God to the people of God. They're a messenger, according to Shiganoth. So there's only one other place in Scripture where this word, Shiganoth, this is the plural form, but there's only one other place, and it's Psalm 7-1, you don't need to know it, but basically it's referring to a type of music. It's referring to a form, a musical, whatever. So it's kind of debated as to what exactly it means, but most scholars believe that it's, it's a woeful musical expression. I'm getting some feedback. But, um, but Shiganath, so it's not really important. So basically, Habakkuk put this to a song. He put this in a woeful lament to God. But then he says this, O Lord. So in this prayer, he starts off with, O Lord. And he uses the name Yahweh, Yahovah. And so Yahovah is the name that was revealed to Moses in the, in the burning bush. It was, it means I am that I am. In other words, 
I was in the beginning and I will continue to be. I am. That is God's name. And so he's saying, God, this name that we had forgotten for hundreds of years and then Josiah found it again, he understood the name of God. And so he's saying, you, God, the one who was at the beginning of creation, the one who was there when it all happened, God, Yahweh, Jehovah. So he prays, O Lord, Yahovah, the existing one, I have heard reports of you. Yes, this is big. He knew God. He had heard of all that God had done. If you look back through the law, it starts in Genesis and it goes through the creation story. So he had heard the creation story. He had heard how God had spoken into the darkness and created the light. He'd heard how in seven days God created the whole universe. He'd heard how God created the animals, how God had split land from water, how just with the sound of his voice called men from dust. He'd heard how he created them male and female, how he had made them in his image, and how he had set them apart to be his rulers. He had heard all of that. Not only that, but it He knew the story of Abraham. He knew how God had called Abraham from Ur and how he had set Abraham apart from everyone else and then started the whole line of Israel. So he had seen and heard of all of God's work. He had seen how the patriarchs went into the promised land, but that wasn't theirs yet. He had seen how Joseph was sold into slavery to Egypt, and yet that horrifying thing was what saved the whole nation when there was famine. And so the whole nation moved to Egypt and prospered. But yet another Pharaoh came and enslaved them. He had seen how after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God rescued them through Moses, through plagues, and through parting the Red Sea, and through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. He had read all of this and had been reacquainted, and he was one of the ones who was telling all of the Jews, remember God. In the days of Josiah as king, he was one of the prophets saying, remember, remember that this is the God who did all this for our people. Not only that, it didn't stop there. He, after the exodus, they spent 40 years in the desert. And every single morning they had manna to eat that God provided. And then when they actually got into the promised land after crossing the Jordan, how God had conquered the whole place for them. Do you guys remember the story of of Joshua and the battle of Jericho? How basically it was ridiculous what God asked them to do. He said, blow trumpets, get the whole nation and walk around the city once a day for seven days. And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times and then blow your trumpets and make a shout. And you guys, the impossible happened. On that seventh day, the walls came tumbling down and The people of Jericho who had been taunting them for seven days started fighting each other and killed each other off. So they just walked in and took the spoils. Yes, he knew that this God, Yahweh, the one who was, was in control of it all. And so he, in prayer, said, Yahweh, O Lord, I have heard of what you have done. And he didn't stop there. It wasn't just, I've heard of what you have done. He says this, Oh, your work, oh Lord, do I fear. Considering all that God has done, 
He fears what justice is going to look like when Babylon comes. He had just heard that Babylon was going to come and conquer his, his home, but yet God was in control of that. And he said, oh Lord, I fear your work. I know you're in control, but my heart breaks because this calamity is about to happen and there's nothing we can do about it because your judgment is already coming. In the midst of the years, you guys, what this means soon, in a set number of years, at an actual point in time, he doesn't say in the next year, in the next 10 years, but he says in the midst of years, God, at your appointed time, let your works be done again. So in the midst of the years, let us see your hand visibly at work. Let us see your deeds so plain that no one can attest that it's you who's doing them. Let our hearts be drawn back to your great rescue and love. So in the midst of the years, revive it. Revive your works and make it known. And we're going to get into this a little bit later, but in wrath, remember mercy. So in Babylon coming to Jerusalem, in the wrath of God's justice, remember mercy, which we see through Daniel, we see through Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we see through the whole story of the 70 years of captivity that God was there showing his mercy the whole time if people were just looking for it. And so Habakkuk, not seeing that yet, trusting that to be true, prays that in wrath, remember mercy. And then he goes on in verse 3 through 16, and he walks through some of the stuff that I just talked about, but he goes into a little bit more detail, especially focusing on Moses and the law and then what was to come. So let's look at Habakkuk 3 through 4. And it says, God came from Timon and the holy mountain from Mount Paran, Salah. So Timon means south. So it basically just means God came from the south, which all of the Sinai Peninsula is south of, of where Israel is. And then Mount Paran, that is the mountain that Moses met God and the Ten Commandments were given. That's the mountain where Moses went up and communed with God. And so this is just saying God came from there. We met God there. So let's read Deuteronomy 33, verse 2. If you can just throw that up there. So he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from 10,000 of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. So this is what it's talking about. This time when Moses met with God in front of all of the Israelites at Mount Paran. His splendor, so verse 4, His splendor covered the earth and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. So let's go back and read Exodus 19. So Exodus 19.9 is exactly where this happened. So if you can throw that up there. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah. So, 
And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Can you flip to the next one? Um, so it talks about a bunch of other little stuff in this little section, but Exodus, it picks it back up in... Doug, do you have the next one? Exodus 19, verse 16 through 20. I'll just put it in my Bible. All right, Exodus 19, verse 16 through 20. Um, and so, this is NIV, so it's not going to match what's up there if he gets it up there. So, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountains and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it like fire, in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpets grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. So you guys, this, Habakkuk is referring to this. The clouds and the thunder and lightning accompanied God's presence. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of praise. His brightness was like light, so lightning. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. He veiled his power in smoke and clouds. And so, moving on, I'm going to try to keep it short because it's so hot. Habakkuk 3.5 says, Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. So let's read Exodus 32. So this is in between the two times Moses went up on the mountain. Right after, while he was up on the mountain, the Israelites made a golden calf and started worshiping something made from their own hands. And so Moses, of course, comes down with the two tablets and then break, like, drops the tablets and they break and anger is happening and God is angry. And so the next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that, I, that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord set, sent a plague on the people because they made a calf, the one that Aaron made. So the plague that he's referring to in Habakkuk is talking about God's judgment for the people that disobeyed. So before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. This is the Lord's judgment. And then picking up Habakkuk verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, he said, He stood and measured the earth, the, looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. 
the everlasting hills sink low. His were the everlasting ways. So at the end of Moses' reign, before they went to Jerusalem, before, not really reign, but his leadership, he prays a prayer and God basically divides up the promised land to the 12 tribes. So he looks and he divides the nations. Um, but it's more than that. God is in control of it all. He's in control so much that at a sound of his voice, the mountains can scatter. Jesus talks about this, and he talks about faith that can move mountains. And so Habakkuk saying, God, you are in control of everything, and at, at your will, mountains tremble and can be made low. Um, we're going to skip Nahum. So picking up in Habakkuk 3, verse 7, he said, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. In Exodus, it kind of talks about this, and it's referring back to, again, them conquering over some stuff. And so, um, so if you can throw up Exodus 15. So the peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the, the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes their leaders, the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. This is what's happened right after they left Israel when everyone in the promised land had heard what God had done to the Egyptians. And they heard that this nation was coming up through, Mount, through the Sinai Peninsula to conquer and take. They feared and they trembled. Forty years later, after their 40-year stint in the desert, um, actually, no, before the 40-year stint in the desert, Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies go out. And in Joshua 2, 8 um, through 11, it says this. Um, and this is Rahab talking um, it says, before the men lay down, Rahab came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So Rahab knew what, is, what was going on. The people trembled. And this is, so Habakkuk keeps going back and saying, I have seen, God, what you have done. I have seen it all. I've heard it all. This is all going on. And he's just going through, listing things that he had seen. So Habakkuk 3, 8 through 10, was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Salah. Pause. You split the earth with rivers. 
The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. This is all referring to how God had consistently used the rivers, the waters, to make his plans known. How Egypt had come after the Israelites, and yet the same water that God had parted for his people to go through was the same water that he used to completely crush the enemy. The same water that he parted in, in um, the river Jordan when they walked into the promised land was the same water that he used to keep as a boundary behind them. And so God used it. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. Because this is all talking about God's salvation. And then Habakkuk goes on to say in verse 11, The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You guys, this is specifically talking about Gideon, which we're about to look at in Joshua, but it's also talking about the anointed one, the Messiah who is to come, Jesus. That through Jesus, through Jesus, the enemy, the eternal enemy will be crushed and he will be made lair from, from thigh to neck. And so let's read Joshua 10, 6 through 14 real quick. And the men of Gibeon sent Joshua out at the camp of Gilgal saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up to from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up them, upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them. By the way of the ascent of Beth Haran, and struck them as far as Azekah and Mekedah. These are like far places. Um, and as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. They were more, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with sword. So God basically killed more with rocks and hail than Israel killed with sword. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. God stopped the earth from rotating so that his promise to Joshua could be made whole so that these people could be completely decimated. And so Habakkuk's referring to this and saying, Lord, you are so powerful. You did all this. You made the sun stand still and the moon stand still so that your will could be done. In the midst of that, right after that, 
has this one little word that you guys probably need to know. It's salah. It means pause. Take a breath. Think about how big God is. So right there, Habakkuk said, pause, listen. The God of the universe, the one who can make the earth stand still, is the one who's doing all this. And so in the midst of that, Lord, going back, revive us. I've heard of your great deeds. I've heard of what you've done. I've heard that you make the sun stand still if you so choose. Let your works be done again and let there be a timetable. Revive our hearts. Turn us back to you. Continuing with chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. It says, You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, surging of the mighty waters. Again, this is talking about the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. Habakkuk 3.16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So Habakkuk, hearing all of chapter 2, hearing what God had done and was promising to do through Babylon, basically says, I don't have any strength left in me. My bones have rotted and deteriorated within me because I'm so fearful of what's about to happen. But then he says, My lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters my bones, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So God, you're still in control. Even if it's going to be a hundred years, I'll wait for you. You're in control. You're on your throne. But all of this goes back. This whole prayer is remembering how big God is, but verse 2 is the central theme that I feel like everything revolves around. Verse 2 says, O Lord, I have heard the reports of you. We just walked through it. Habakkuk just laid it all out. I've heard how big and great you are, God. And I fear. But in the midst of the years, revive it. Revive us. Revive your people. Turn our hearts away from the wickedness and revive your work. Make it new in us once again. In the midst of the years, make yourself known. And then that last little tag, in wrath, remember mercy. This prayer, I feel like, really follows along and falls in line with Psalm 85. So let's read Psalm 85. It says, To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Salah. You withdrew your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. 
restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to the, all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Yes, yeah, what Habakkuk and what the Psalms written by the sons of Quran are talking about is God's righteousness meeting God's wrath. It's this foreshadowing of, God, we want you, your mercy to meet your judgment. In wrath, remember mercy. But yes, God, would, we'd see that play out in Israel, but more than anything, we see that play out in Jesus. More than anything, this points us to Jesus. So yes, Habakkuk is saying, revive us. It's a prayer of revival. And so, more than anything, God, Habakkuk saying, revive our hearts, turn us back to you, even in the midst of all the wrath, let mercy prevail. But that can only happen later down the road when God becomes flesh, when he steps into earth, into human form, and becomes man. When he humbles himself, and not only humbles himself as in the form of Jesus, but makes himself known and goes to the cross on our behalf and lets God's perfect righteousness meet his perfect wrath. He has only in the cross does God's divine wrath meet his divine love. Only where Jesus hanging on the cross is God's perfect justice met with overwhelming mercy. Only there can we see divine forgiveness, even though we deserve divine punishment. Because Jesus took the penalty of our sin, looking back, Habakkuk is praying for that to happen, but looking back at Jesus now, we, 2,000 years after this actually happened, this actual place in time, what are we doing where are we at? The cross has already happened. Revival can take place. The Holy Spirit has come to turn our hearts back to God. And yet still some of us, like the Israelites, turn away from him and run toward wickedness. We turn to the things that destroy us. And yet God is saying, look to Jesus. The good news is that God has already done all the work for us. The good news of the cross is that we no longer have to strive to make anything 
to do anything. Revival happens when we willingly, like Habakkuk, pray and understand our position that this is where we are and this is where power happens. That when we're here, we can say, God, you have done all this. You have done mighty works through all of history. I remember those and I fear. But God, in the midst of that, revive our hearts. Turn my heart. Lord, help me to repent from what I am doing and turn my heart away from that into you. Because only when we can do that can true things happen in our hearts and in the hearts around us. How often are we praying not only for ourselves, but for the people around us? God is saying, just like Habakkuk prayed as a prophet, we are a, a people of prophets and saints. Hebrews calls us all a holy priesthood. So Habakkuk, a priest of that time, is saying, Lord, have mercy on us and in your wrath, remember justice and mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy. And so we, as people who know Jesus, who understand where mercy meets wrath, who've seen it, who experienced it, why are we not here pleading to the God of the universe for the hearts of our friends and for our own hearts to not fall to the praise of the enemy? You guys, revival happens when we are here. Revival of our own hearts and revival of our friends. Communities change when we're here. Just like Habakkuk saying, Oh God, oh Lord Yahweh, the one who was before the foundations of the earth and the one who will be forever. In your wrath, remember mercy. And through Jesus, have mercy on us. Turn our eyes from our selfishness and our sin and revive us. Turn us away from our selfishness and sin and make us vessels to be messengers of you. This is the heart of Habakkuk, and this is the heart of Jesus, and this is what God is calling us to be to the world around us. And the Holy Spirit is the only one who can change hearts from bitter rivals of the cross to understanding. The Bible says it's folly to people who don't know Jesus, that it makes no sense, but to those who the Holy Spirit reveals it, it's life and it's breath. So today, I challenge you Fall on your knees, repent, turn from your selfishness, and more than that, in your own life, ask God to revive the works that he's done before. Remember what he's done in your own life. In my own life, he's done so much. So if you were a Christian, you followed, you can see how God has done things in your past. So in your own life today, before you take communion, Remember that and say, oh Lord, I've heard reports of you. And not only have I heard, I've seen it happen. I've seen what you've done in my life and in the lives of those around me. Restore it. Give me the first love that I once had and give me a heart to seek you. And more than that, God, use me. Break me out and use me to show my friends and my family and the nations who you are. 
this is the heart of Habakkuk, and this is the heart of God. So today we're about to take communion. If you've never been here before and you're not a Christian, stay in your seats and just listen and pray. And I challenge you to think on this. But if you are a Christian, feel free. Once you have repented of your own sin, and once you have made your heart right with God, to go and to take the bread and the, and the wine, grape juice. You guys, if you don't know Christ, what this represents is Christ's body broken for you. The bread on the last day that Jesus was on the earth, he shared a last supper with his disciples, and he said, you don't understand this, he didn't say that, but he was speaking. You don't understand this, but tonight, in the next 24 hours, my body is going to be broken for you. This represents my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then he lifted up the cup. And if you aren't familiar with the Passover meal, this cup wasn't just any cup. It was a time in the Passover meal that represented the cup of, of redemption, the cup of of the Messiah who was to come, the blood that was going to be poured out to cover the sins of the nation. And he says, this is my blood that's about to be poured out for you. Whenever you take of this, do it in remembrance of me. So you guys, on this next song, once you make yourself right with God, once you've prayed and asked God to revive your heart, to give you a heart for those around you, Feel free to come and take. And then feel free to worship. Because the God of the universe has done great things. Through Jesus, there is amazing hope. Through the Holy Spirit, there is amazing joy that can only come once you've tasted and see how good our God is. So I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come, and and lead us into a couple more songs. But I challenge you today to pray for the revival of your own heart and the revival of our friends and our family, those who've fallen away and those who don't even know who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today completely overwhelmed by how good you are. Lord, you are so powerful that our minds can't even understand it, that you can stop the earth from spinning on its axis just to accomplish something that you want done. God, that you created everything, and yet you still know my name, and you still want to have a relationship with me, it goes beyond what I can understand. Lord, that I have sinned so harshly against you, and I have gone my own way, but you, through Jesus on the cross, forgive that and call us into a relationship with you. God, thank you. Lord, I pray for my friends in this room that you would revive our hearts, that you would make us new, that you would show us what it means to be on our knees, a nation, a priest, interceding for each other and interceding for the broken and lost people around us. God, turn our hearts to you and make your ways known to those around us.
Lord, come and meet with us today. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.